you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 1 as we continue our series on the Holy Spirit. And this week we're going to be talking about deliverance. So here we go from Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 21. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, Jesus entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves, saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. This teaching on uh, deliverance and the demonic might be uh, the strangest, most bizarre, weirdest of all the things we're going to talk about. You can can talk about healing uh, at a dinner party or at a discipleship group meeting, but the moment you begin to talk about the demonic, things just get weird, and uh, you might be characterized as somewhat of uh, a strange person. And what I want you to see here in this story as we begin into this uh, teaching on deliverance is that um, Jesus assumes the reality of demonic forces. He assumes that demons and the demonic are a real threat to human wholeness. And, and notice Jesus doesn't explain. He doesn't try to give the background and the origins and talk about a galaxy far, far away sometime long ago. Um, he just assumes the presence of Satan and the presence of demons as he begins his ministry here in the book of Mark. And this is, uh, of course, obvious because uh, in that time, uh, Hebrew and Roman thought would have been steeped in the understanding of the world as, as supernaturally charged. And so Jesus didn't have to explain it. It was just kind of part of the common vernacular and way of thinking about the world. But I realize that we today, living uh, in the 21st century, especially in the West, in a very secularized context, cannot assume that. And um, although I don't have time to do a deep dive, I just want to say a few things to those of us who might find ourselves skeptical about the teachings, uh, teachings around the demonic and spiritual beings. Uh, C.S. Lewis, I'm sure you've heard this quote before, but it bears repeating. Uh, in one of his most well-known books, Screwtape Letters, which I've been reading along with my 14-year-old son uh, over the last several months, again, just a great work. It's about a, a young demon who's apprenticing to his uncle, and he's teaching him kind of the tactics and the ways of demonic temptation and activity in the world. And, and here's what C.S. Lewis says in the preface, preface to this book. He says, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. This is where we find ourselves, I think, in the West. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. So you could say that the, in the West, our temptation is to disbelieve in the supernatural and in the existence of demons. In the East, maybe, historically, there's been, maybe been a preoccupation where they see a demon or a devil behind uh, every tree or every temptation or uh, anything negative that happens in their spirituality. And so uh, if you want to learn more about uh, who demons are and where they come from, I want to throw up on the slide a great website, uh, bibleproject.com. 
And uh, they have some really short little videos, five, six, seven minutes, that go into the history of kind of spiritual beings and angels and demons. But just a quick little review in case uh, you're new to the conversation. Uh, In the beginning, Genesis says, God uh, created the heavens and the earth, these two realms that are distinct and yet um, interrelated to one another. The earth, we know, is kind of those of us uh, human beings and all the creatures created from the dust of the earth. Um, and then there's this realm referred to as the heavens. These, the heavens are this unseen realm that overlaps with the earth, and it's a realm that's full of um, spiritual beings, right? And so you could, you could kind of think about this, uh, if you think about business, uh, these spiritual beings, uh, the angels, were originally God's heavenly staff team, right? Um, kind of his C-suite, his executive team, and then all the administrative support staff that, that kind of roll out from there. And uh, the heavens were not as much a geographic place um, as they were a dimension of reality, a dimension that's every bit as real as the material and physical world that we experience here on earth. And there were all kinds of uh, different uh, spiritual beings that were a part of that realm. And demons were originally uh, angels. They were part of this ancient angelic race, created a little bit lower than God and mankind, human beings. And we read about in Isaiah 14 and in Revelation chapter 12 that they rebelled against God. They wanted to be like God. They wanted to assume the place of God, and they fell into ruin. And so they actually, um, the, the, the Genesis story teaches us that the human rebellion against God was interwoven with the angelic uh, rebellion against God. And so kind of the, the lead figure in this rebellion is referred to in the scriptures as the Satan or the devil. And this, this uh, word, this phrase, the Satan, is not a name. Like, this is not Satan's name. It's a, it's a title, and it literally means the adversary, one who is against everything that's of God. Um, or sometimes he's called the devil, and the word devil means the accuser or the slanderer or the gossiper. And uh, he's referred to by Jesus as the prince of uh, the powers of the air, the prince of the, or the ruler of this world. He's the most powerful creature in the universe, and he's kind of the embodiment of all that's evil and gone wrong and distorted God's good creation um, and his good world. He's an intelligent being. He's not just a thing. He's not just a spirit. He's actually a being, and there's an organization, this idea of the prince of uh, the power of the air is, is a Greek word that um, refers to like military installation or a military unit. And so there's organization and there's these forces that have been unleashed in the world. And their intent, the Bible says, on killing and stealing and destroying God's shalom and dragging the world back into darkness. It's the evil that's behind so much of the evil in our souls and in our world. And the Bible presents us with a picture of, the, of a world engaged in a cosmic battle taking place between two kingdoms, the kingdom of light God and his angels and those who serve him and the kingdom of darkness. This is what we might call spiritual warfare. Writers of the way of Jesus, uh, and, and if you read the New Testament, uh, they present us with three kind of enemies of the human soul. You can read about this in Ephesians chapter 2, for instance, verses 2 through 3. The world, um, or kind of the external organized systems and structures that we encounter in the world, the flesh, those disordered desires within us that wage war against the spirit, and then the devil or the demonic. And today we're going to talk about deliverance from demonic. And I know that many of you may be skeptical or cynical or have had bad experiences um, with demonic in the past. And if you find yourself skeptical about the demonic, uh, welcome. This is a safe place to have those doubts 
and some of those fears. And I just want to ask you for a moment to suspend those doubts, to maybe uh, be skeptical about your skepticism and understand that you live in a Western secular script that teaches you to be skeptical of anything that you can't touch or feel or taste with your five uh, senses. And I want you to consider what Jesus has to say. If nothing else, when you look around the world, when you look around our country right now and you see so much evil unfolding, like what if one of the explanations of that is that there is actually a demonic uh, spiritual realm that's animating and energizing the evil that we find both in the human soul and out in the structures of the world. And what if Jesus and all of the teachers of the way of Jesus for the past couple millennia know better about the true nature of reality than we do in the secularized West? Um, there's an interesting article, if you want to read it, I'll put it up on the slide here, uh, called The uh, American Exorcism. It was put out in the Atlantic, certainly no uh, bastion of like Christian thought uh, several years ago uh, about the rise of interest in the demonic as a cause for the evil that we're experiencing and, and, and actually an invitation by more and more people to priests to perform exorcisms because there's just no other explanation that people can find for the evil that they see in themselves and in the world. So I want to invite you to be curious as we look at this together. So let's go back to the text here and I want to talk about what, how, what Jesus does and how he encounters the demonic and how Jesus brings about deliverance. If you know anything about the Gospel of Mark, it's, it's a beautiful book. It's actually an abridged, condensed biography of the life and the ministry of Jesus. So if you like kind of action as opposed to reflection and contemplation, you're going to love the book of Mark. It's kind of like the ESPN highlights or the nightly news. It's this fast-paced, action-packed account of the life of Jesus. Very little uh, about his teaching and more about what he does. The key word in the book of Mark is this little Greek word, chi, which just means immediately. And you see that even here in chapter one. Jesus did this, and immediately he did this, and immediately he did this. Mark is concerned with the action or the activity of Jesus in the world. As he comes in, we see in this opening narrative here in chapter one, Jesus is baptized, he's filled with the Spirit, and immediately he's driven out into the wilderness to face down the Satan, the evil one, the devil himself, and all of his demonic powers. And there's this clash of kingdoms, the kingdom of light versus the kingdom of darkness that starts in the wilderness. And this is actually, the Bible says, why Jesus came into the world. I think of First uh, John chapter 3, verse 8, where John, one of his disciples, says this, the reason the Son of God came into the world, appeared, was to destroy the works of of the devil. Jesus came into the world to undo the destruction and the chaos that Satan and his uh, demonic forces have been uh, kind of wreaking havoc on God's good creation for generations. And now Jesus comes in, and we see him in chapter one again doing two primary things. He's teaching about the kingdom of God, the reign and the rule of God, and he's demonstrating the good news of this kingdom. And notice his first act of demonstrating before he does anything else. Um, he teaches, and the first act of demonstration was to deliver people from demonic influence. We see that right here in chapter one. He's teaching the gospel of the kingdom, and before he heals, before he does anything else, he is delivering people from the demonic. There are 20 accounts of deliverance in the gospels alone. And we see here that Jesus actually becomes famous for casting out demons before he becomes known as a preacher or a healer 
of the sick. And this is absolutely unique to Jesus Christ because um, if you read the Old Testament, for instance, you see lots of supernatural miracles happening, but there's zero Old Testament accounts of any of those prophets uh, delivering people from the demonic. And that's why in verse 27, it says the people were amazed. They were astonished. They were in awe. A new teaching that's not like the scribes. It's just a boring kind of recounting of ancient scripture, but it's actually the scriptures and the narrative of God's kingdom come alive in the person of Jesus. And he pairs this teaching with amazing authority and power to cast out demons. And the question is, what exactly was Jesus delivering these people from? As he's casting demons out, what is he delivering them from? And um, this, in, this little Greek word here um, that gets sometimes translated as demon possession. Actually, I think that's uh, a bad translation. It's not exactly wrong, but it's incomplete. This word that gets translated demon possessed throughout the New Testament in your English Bible um, actually, a better translation probably is demonized. These are demonized people, or one, another way to think of it is if you've ever had termites in your home, it's like an infestation. It's an intensification where a person is demonized or inhabited by demons in the case of non-Christians or influenced by or accused by or discouraged or tormented or tempted by or exploited or frightened by the presence of demons. Now, here's the thing to keep in mind. Christians cannot be possessed by demons. It's impossible for a Christian full of the Spirit of God to be possessed, but they can be demonized. They can be influenced, and there's a spectrum here from very mild demonic influence to very severe and acute and overwhelming uh, presence of the demonic. And so Christians can be demonized. You see this in places like Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, where Paul says, "'Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger.'" Give no opportunity for the devil. Don't give a foothold for demonic influence. Talking to Christians. First Peter chapter 5, be sober-minded, Peter says. Be watchful. Your adversary, that's that word for Satan uh, or the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. So Christians can be demonized, and we need to be aware of the presence of the demonic, and certainly non-Christians throughout the Bible can be possessed by uh, demons totally controlled or under the influence of the demonic. Now, how do people come under demonic influence? We don't exactly know all the causes and the origins and exactly how this works, and the Bible doesn't give us like a step-by-step manual for how uh, demons uh, come to influence or torment people, but here's at least two categories that we see throughout the Bible. One is just straight up unprovoked oppression. This is like where demons just, there's no specific cause, there's no sin, there's no foothold. They just attack, they oppress, they harass, they seek to dominate people. I think of the story of Job, where Satan comes to God and asks for permission to torment Job. I think of Jesus, where the, where the enemy just comes looking for him. Even in the uh, New Testament, you'll see children that can be demonized because of different things that are happening possibly in their families or just because they're vulnerable uh, uh, as, as children. And what I want you to see here in terms of how Jesus engages unprovoked oppression is that Jesus heals and he drives out demons without repentance of sin as a prerequisite for casting out demons. Jesus never comes and says, hey, you know what? The cause is you're sinful, you're believing some kind of deceptive lie, and you need to repent, and then I'll cast out demons. 
It's actually the opposite. Jesus cast out the demons, and as he restores them to wholeness, they now are free to make choices to follow Jesus and to repent and turn away from their sins. So sometimes it's unprovoked oppression. Other times, it's just straight-up deception, intentional deception. It's a scheme of the enemy to deceive us through temptations to sin. Sin is one of the primary ways that the demonic can influence and harass us, particularly as followers of Jesus. Sometimes this comes through sin that we commit, right? Like sin has this addictive quality. It, it, it enslaves us. I uh, think of Genesis chapter 4 uh, with uh, Cain, where uh, God comes to Cain and he says, Cain, watch out. Sin is crouching at your door. It's seeking to master you or overpower you or dominate you. Again, First Peter, watch out. The, the devil prowls around like a, he's a strong apex type predator who seeks to use sin as an opening to enslave you and to make you sick. Jesus says it's not, the, it's not the healthy you need a doctor, it's sinners, those who are sick. And that's what sin does. It sickens us or weakens us and makes us vulnerable. And really the key with demonic activity and oppression is really about eroding our capacity of choice and our ability to choose what's good and true and beautiful or godly or righteous or whole for our lives. It's really about the loss of control and freedom. That's what demonization is really about. It's about losing choice, losing our freedom as human beings to choose what's good. And eventually through sin, oftentimes through our own sinful choices, we get so beaten down that we just give ourselves. We literally, the Bible says, resign ourselves uh, over to the power of sin. It becomes compulsive, and it becomes something that we can't choose not to do any longer. That's kind of our state apart from God. For those of us who are not followers of Jesus, it's just something that we can't help. It's what we do. So sometimes it's sins that we commit, and often, though, it is uh, sins that others commit against us. The devil loves to prey on our wounds. The, uh, the evil one is called Beelzebul in the New Testament, which means Lord of the flies. And if you've ever been on a farm and you've seen a dead animal, um, you know that flies love to swarm to open wounds. The demons love to empower and energize and exploit our emotional and spiritual and mental and physical vulnerabilities, our wounds, our weaknesses, our limitations, and our losses. So how does that then add up to demonic influence? Well, what happens is um, Satan uh, and the demonic powers, they, they traffic in deception and preying on and using our sin and, and disorienting us and deceiving us and distorting God's good design for our lives and then bringing us to a place of fear through uh, lies. Really, that's the way that Satan operates. I think of John 8, verse 44, and Jesus talking to the Israelites, to the Jews and to the Jewish leadership, says, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Lying, Jesus says, is the native language. It is the operating system of the evil one. And one of his greatest weapons is to leverage sin, to plant deceptive ideas into our souls, into our hearts, into our bodies, into our minds, our imagination, and our memories. We must understand that Satan does not work, rarely does he come in the form of a pitchfork, as we see in like classical literature. 
uh, but these small deceptive ideas like, like the movie Inception where he plants them deep into our unconscious and they get whispered and amplified and multiplied until we eventually lose control on what is real and what's not real, what's true and what's not true. He whispers like he whispered to Adam and Eve, did God really say, right? Is God really good? Can you really trust God? These are lies about God, about the image of God and the character of God. They're lies about ourselves, about who we are as his children. They're lies about other people. And these lies become footholds or openings or strongholds that uh, exacerbate a sense of guilt and shame and fear. And once we are afraid, once we've lost our sense of reality and we're living in shame, um, you know, not only do I do bad things, I am a bad person, I'm worthless, I'm disgusting, I'm dirty, I'm hopeless, I'm damaged goods. Like that is the arena where Satan loves to exploit vulnerabilities and a mistaken identity. Once we're afraid, we become easily controlled and easily manipulated towards demonic purposes. And it's so subtle. It's so subtle because it's almost never verbalized. And it it always plays at this level of the implicit, like implicit assumptions or values or desires or ways that we perceive the world or our story, our past, what's happening to us in our relationships. And here's the thing. Much of this is happening throughout our lives. Um, Like we get formed, and this gets reinforced through our earliest experiences in our families, in our churches, and through different situations in our lives. Oftentimes as children, it creates this kind of internal map for the ways that we interpret what's happening to us. And and Satan uses that to distort. And, And it's really not so much about like your doctrine or your beliefs as it is about how you're perceiving the world, your interpretations of events that have happened to you throughout your life. And here's the thing, we don't as much believe lies as we tend to just live lies. We live in unreality and untruth. And I think about this in terms of a demonic influence uh, that leads us to places of adultery. I think of places where uh, people have been so deceived and you begin to believe lies about your spouse, you know, uh, they're out to hurt me. I can't trust them. And, and that vulnerability opens up spaces and ways of thinking where all of a sudden you begin to assume the worst about your spouse and you begin to assume the best about your own motives and maybe even get to a place where you feel like, I deserve this. I deserve to, to cheat. I deserve a different kind of relationship. This person doesn't deserve me or I don't deserve them. The same thing with pornography or trauma or abuse. Or maybe you grew up in a really critical family system where these uh, kind of half-baked truths uh, about who you are and your identity get internalized. And all of a sudden, you begin to walk in shame. And, and that can lead to all kinds of destructive behaviors. That is how sin works. It's so subtle. It's so hidden. It's so invisible and deceptive. And that is normally the place where Satan gets foothold in our lives, and he seeks to enslave us. So the question we have to ask here, and I want us to see from Mark is how does Jesus deal with these demonic powers? We see how oppressive and how destructive demonic powers can be. And what I want you to hear is that Jesus has come to break the power of the evil one. He brings uh, three things, at least, into his encounter with demonic powers. Notice that he brings truth or reality. He brings authority or power. And he brings restoration or the ability to choose the good. Notice here in this passage, Jesus is teaching and preaching about the kingdom of God, about the reality of who God is. He's not only teaching, but he's embodying the nature of true reality, the very presence of God. He's bringing the kingdom 
into the world, and that inevitably leads to the exposure of these dark powers that are enslaving and oppressing uh, people in this community, and it brings about a confrontation that leads to truth and reality uh, winning out. And so, uh, as Paul says, the kingdom of God is not about talk. It's not just about empty doctrine or pious platitudes or religious mantras. It is about the power of God coming to the world to rescue us from falsity, from lies, from these narratives and scripts that do not represent or align with God's reality and his vision for our wholeness in the world. And Jesus has come to deliver us. So he brings truth and he preaches the truth and he embodies the truth. And then, and then he comes with an authority, he comes with power. He, notice how he interacts with the demons. He rebukes them. He, he commands them. He doesn't ask them. He doesn't beg or plead with them. He says, get out, be silent, like get out of here. He silences them and he eventually casts them out. He cancels the power of demonic alliances and allegiances that keep us entrapped and ensnared in sin and suffering and trauma. And so uh, just like notice how they, these demonic powers interact with Jesus. They're like whiny little children. Like he tells them to go and they're like, oh, Jesus, do we have to? And oh, I don't know. Who are you? Why have you come? There's, there's resistance. And we should expect the same kind of resistance when we're dealing with the demonic today. But there's, there's ultimately a respect for Jesus and a response to Jesus where they have to get out. Notice that Jesus doesn't give them too much attention. He doesn't, he's not fascinated with explaining their origins or hierarchies or attachments or these territorial jurisdictions, you know, that sometimes people talk about. These are simple, short commands. Jesus comes as the Son of God, destroy the works of the devil, and he says, go, leave, and ultimately demons flee. So Jesus comes with truth, he brings authority, pairs those together, and then he restores. Every time you see these healings, the word there, again, as we talked about last week, is sozo. He saves, he rescues, he delivers them, he brings them back to a place of wholeness. That's what deliverance is all about. It's about delivering from us from the power of the evil one, from the power of darkness and blindness and deception and distorted ideas about God and ourselves and about his world. And it's ultimately about restoring us back to a place of freedom and the ability to choose flourishing life with God without constraint or without fear. First John 4, uh, perfect love casts out fear. And that's why Jesus came. The fruit of the Spirit is self-control. It's an ability to control ourselves and to live in the Spirit and to choose what's good and holy and righteous. And so those are kind of the, the ways that Jesus deals with throughout the New Testament, the demonic. And so the last question I want us to consider here is how does Jesus want us to deal with the demonic today? There's a reality of spiritual warfare for disciples of Jesus. And I know that some of you are like, yes, finally, the, the moment where I get commissioned as a demon hunter and sent out with a demon license to go, you know, kick some butt and take some names. But this is a reality. I want to caution you before you just jump headlong into this. There are some dangers. There are some real threats as we engage in spiritual warfare. But it is a calling. It is a reality for us as we live in Jesus's name and powered by the Spirit. We will encounter the realities of the demonic. I think of Luke chapter 10 where Jesus sends out the 72 and he gives them authority over the demonic, over the scorpions and the serpents, uh, which is a metaphor for kind of the demonic spirits that are empowered by Satan. Uh, Jesus came to cancel and to, uh, to die, uh, to cancel the power that we are under in terms of the demonic in the world. Colossians 2 says he's canceled the dead. He's disarmed the rulers and authorities. He died a sacrificial death and he rose again to give us power over uh, demonic forces in the world. 
And as those of us who live now on this side of Jesus' resurrection, Jesus has said, I give you all authority in heaven and earth, and I want you to go out and do the works that I did, but do greater works than these. And that's why we pray as Jesus taught us in in, uh, the Lord's Prayer. Lord, deliver us from the power of the evil one. It is the calling of disciples of Jesus to to engage in spiritual battle against the the devil and against demonic powers. And so what does that actually look like? Um, there's two kind of ways, at least, that I think that, uh, that looks like for us to engage the demonic. The typical pattern throughout the Bible, throughout the New Testament, is just resistance. The typical pattern is to resist the evil one, to resist the devil. As children of God who are regenerated, saved, rescued, inhabited, filled, and empowered by the Spirit, we are responsible to recognize and to respond to and to resist, ultimately, Satan and his demons and his schemes. You see that over and over and over again. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Resist the devil, resist the devil. To resist just means to oppose, right? To oppose uh, the devil through trusting God and being immersed in the spirit. Ephesians chapter 6 says we put on these weapons, the sword of the spirit and uh, the helmet of salvation and the belt of truth. These are just metaphors for life in the spirit, living in truth, living in God's reality, trusting God day in and day out for uh, salvation and living out that salvation in the world. Resisting also means avoiding the demonic, right? Sometimes we're, we're called to, to flee the demonic, to avoid contact with demonic things. And that might uh, be some examples in the Bible like astrology or demonic TV shows or music or fortune-telling or involvement with the occult. These can all be footholds for the evil one to enter in and to influence our lives. And so we need to avoid and to flee. And when we recognize sometimes maybe uh, demonically influenced strongholds in our own lives, we can actually engage a process of replacing truth with lies. That's, that's the real spiritual battle that most of us are going to encounter is recognizing, hey, this is an area of my life, whether it's mental or emotional or spiritual or psychological, where I have allowed, because I've believed lies, false interpretations of reality that have gotten internalized into my script for how I see the world, I've got to recognize those and root those out through a process of acknowledging, hey, this is an area where it feels like I'm under some demonic attack or demonic influence. Um, I need to repent and turn away from that. Uh, I need to claim God's promises in Scripture, and, and I need to command this, uh, this, this demonic influence to leave me and to receive the blessing of God's, uh, uh, God's encouragement that I am his son, I am his daughter. I don't have to walk in fear. I don't have to walk in shame. I don't have to walk in Lies. So that's kind of the typical pattern for what it's going to look like 99% of the time in the life of a disciple of Jesus as we engage demonic powers. But there are situations very rarely where we get stuck or we get deceived to the point of losing self-control and, and even being very, very demonized, very uh, you know, influenced by or harassed by or tormented by because we've, we've opened up a foothold or maybe we've been traumatized and abused and just to the point where we lose our ability to choose the good and we are under spiritual attack and bondage to the evil one. And this is where deliverance ministry can come in. This is where we, we can step into these spaces with faith and actually be a part of healing and deliverance ministry in Jesus' name. And so a couple of things I want to encourage you here. We don't have time to get into a lot of the details here and what this looks like and how we actually practice this in community, in discipleship, in our families, but just a couple of things. If you find yourself in that situation and you, you clearly discern the presence of the demonic, 
Um, just a couple of encouragements. One, don't be afraid, right? Trust God. Never be afraid of demons. You, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have all authority on heaven and on earth that's been given to you to uh, deal with those demonic powers. So you have no reason to fear. You must trust God and understand that you've been given the authority of Christ to command, to rebuke, and to resist the evil one. Second thing is we've got to be so careful in discerning the presence of demonic activity when it comes to especially to vulnerable people, right? It's so easy for us to get this wrong. It's so easy for us to uh, do this in a way that damages or hurts other people. Some people think that the spiritual gift in 1 Corinthians 12 of discerning the spirits actually is the gift of uh, discerning demonic activity, discerning the difference between what's good and right and spirit-driven and what's of the world and uh, of the devil. And so we've got to learn and remember these three categories and know the difference between the world, the flesh, and the devil. Not everything that presents itself as a struggle in the world, for instance, there is a reality of human injustice that's embedded in systems and structures. We're learning that again as a society right now. That does not necessarily mean that it needs to be fought with the same weapons that we would use for demonic influence. It doesn't mean that they're not related, but there's some struggles of the flesh that are different than the struggles of the demonic. And so most sin doesn't need demonic intervention. And so we should be careful about substituting deliverance for um, a need for like spiritual disciplines or fighting against injustice in spirit-led ways or counseling or psychiatric help. And I want to just make one quick note about mental illness and demonization here because I think it's so important to talk about this, that um, sometimes uh, mental illness, uh, psychological distress, um, can be demonically driven. We see that in Mark chapter 5. If you want to read a story about a man who is so disturbed psychologically and mentally ill because of the presence of demons. But here's the thing. In the majority of cases, Scripture clearly distinguishes between demonization and illness. There's 17 instances in the gospel. You can read about that, for instance, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 24. Um, and so there are times when it is caused by the demonic, and there are times when it's not caused. It could be physiological imbalances, chemical imbalances, true mental illnesses that are genetic and, and neurobiologically uh, sourced. And so we need to be so careful not to think of every mental illness as, um, as some kind of demon possession or demonization. And so in, the, in cases that are ambiguous or dubious or you don't know, it's important, I think, to rule out all other possibilities before attempting deliverance. And since human beings are complex, we talked about this last week, we're spiritual and emotional and social and psychological beings. Um, I think the best way to help others deal with their problems, if they come to us and they say, hey, I think I might be you know, being demonized or I have this issue, um, it, it's just to approach it with great um, sensitivity, great uh, you know, attentiveness to the complexity of what it means to be human and make sure that our interventions are appropriately related to the spheres. So if somebody has a psychological issue, we need to treat that with counseling. If somebody has uh, a spiritual issue, we need to treat that with great spiritual care. If somebody has a physical issue, we need to treat that physically. And, and I think it's the same thing with mental illness. We need to be careful here that we don't discern the presence wrongly. Uh, third thing, exert authority over demons to, to make it leave. If you sense that somebody does actually have some kind of demonic influence, um, we need to be just bathing them in prayer. We need to claim the promises of Scripture, tell that demon to get out, tell that demon to leave and to flee, to rebuke them, to resist them, command them to go in the name of Jesus, ex exert authority over them. Don't 
you know, negotiate with them. Don't try. They are liars, and they need to be uh, commanded to leave. And then, uh, you know, follow through with discipleship and care. Jesus says one of the worst things that you can do is cast out a demon and then open up space for seven more to come in. And actually, the, the end result ends up being worse than the first time. And so we need to follow up. We need to disciple this person. We need to help them understand how they got into the space that they were in and see if there are any patterns or things that can be learned through formation and reformation in the name of Jesus. We need to care for them and love them and support them. And, uh, and ultimately, I think we just need to trust in Jesus. Trust in Jesus as the one who is the ultimate deliverer, not trust ourselves to a particular deliverance ministry or get too tied to outcomes. God um, is mysterious and how he works in these situations is mysterious. And, and, and really the goal of breakthrough, again, is to remove any sort of resistance or to remove uh, any sort of lack of control to restore people to ordinary, normal life with Jesus, not to become dependent on deliverance ministry in and of itself. And so the goal is to empower people to be able to do their own spiritual work, to be able to resist the devil so that he would flee from them, not become dependent on us. So I just want to close with, uh, again, similar to the way we closed last week, this is a vision, I think, for us uh, as a church, as a place of healing. I mean, that's what the Spirit is doing through his people, and I think through Jesus, is he's creating a community of of healing, create a community of healing and deliverance. And the goal is freedom. It's freedom in Christ. It's to be set free from every sort of bondage that keeps us from the knowledge of God, that keeps us from trusting God and loving God and living fully and freely as his children. The goal is not to become obsessed with sickness or the demonic, but it is the healing of people in need who've been traumatized by demonic powers and influences, harassed and tormented, who need to be liberated to live out their identity and calling in the world as God's sons and daughters. And so if we were here in person and we were in the church right now, we were in the sanctuary, I was giving this message, I would give an invitation to come and to receive prayer, to receive uh, healing and deliverance if you feel oppressed. And so I just want to extend that invitation for those of you um, who might want that, you can reach out to us as elders, email us, text us, uh, reach out to us, or in your missional community. Maybe this just sparks a conversation this week where you're feeling stuck, you're feeling trapped, you're feeling afflicted, you're feeling oppressed and harassed. And maybe this is just an opportunity for you to be vulnerable, to be honest about maybe some of the lies that you've been leaving, some of the trauma that you've experienced that runs so deep in your story, and to open yourself up to the power in the presence of God. Jesus has come to destroy the works of the devil. He has come to bring about our liberation. And man, what a beautiful vision of the church to become ground zero for God's project, his kingdom project of bringing a community of healing and deliverance to a world that desperately needs it. Let's pray and ask God to help us and empower us for this work. Father, in the name of Jesus, we uh, echo his words that he taught his disciples so long ago. Lord, deliver us from the power of the evil one. God, would you give us authority? Would you give us your truth? Um, We know that the kingdom of God is not about talk. It's not about just uh, trite sayings or platitudes, but it is about power, the power to save, the power to deliver, the power to rescue the vulnerable and those who are sick with sin and traumatized by the effects of sin in the world to deliver them from the power of the evil one, to transfer them into the kingdom of light, into the kingdom of Jesus. And so, God, we pray that you would shape us, that you would heal us, that you would mold us and form us. Help us to see our own blind spots, to see where we have fallen victim to the power of the enemy 
who longs to, as he did with Peter, to sift us like wheat and to make us ineffective in our calling and identity as children of God. Would you wake us up? Would you uh, rescue us? And then would you help us then turn around and, and deliver and rescue others as we live in your name in our communities and our families and in the world? God, make us a community of healing and deliverance. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.